Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. This episode is going to heavily focus more. There will be an underdog token I will talk about that I have on my list here to discuss. However, this episode is going to focus heavily on information and news in the front part, probably about the first two thirds ish, primarily because I think it's important to cover a lot of this information that's coming out now, as well as I want to do more informational pieces. And I'm I may even do a separate afternoon episode. I have not decided that yet, but is potentially, if I do, dedicated to information educational type update. Before I get into this, I want to circle back on Cytomask. Cytomask is functional as far as I can tell. However, there are some bugs that still make me recommend that you do not use it. If you choose to use it, that's your prerogative. I do not recommend it because many of these bugs from the lens of a developer are blatantly unacceptable and should not have been allowed to pass muster. And I'm not sure how this was allowed to be approved to release to the App Store because from my perspective, the at least on the, the Apple side for sure, they're pretty darn strict about how your app needs to behave and how things need to work. And for whatever reason, this ain't working the way that was described even now. But... It does seem to let you log in, so that's certainly progress. I didn't get the network error. I was able to go into it. The networks issue, which was the whole test net, looks like it is a visual bug. I was able to verify that the address that I, my test address I created, is indeed on the Ethereum blockchain, so it is creating a mainnet address. I have not added any currency because I'm not going to because I want that interface fixed. I can't trust it even now. Even if they were to fix it, I'm skeptical about where the money would go, right? It's like I don't, I can't trust because the first pass, which really you should have about 80% of core functionality in there, and they didn't. But then there's another issue that I think is pretty serious, which is the whole sales pitch of this application was you don't need to go to all these different places in order to see prices and watch the market and buy into things, right? And so there's this section called crypto assets. It looks like a little graph icon on the bottom right. When you go in there, if you scroll that list, what it looks like, this is my developer hat coming on, so I apologize if I sound nerdy, but what it looks like is happening is that they're querying the information on an increasing basis, including the price, the graphs, and everything else, as you scroll down the list, and they're just querying, 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 and they're storing this locally in, in the cache because they have to. It looks like either there's a memory leak, which I suspect is the case, or they're not optimizing that load to where things become static that are not needing to change on a frequent basis. So for example, the list of the cryptocurrencies is going to change because of how many cryptos are out there. I don't think it's practical to have an entire list of every crypto that's available on the Ethereum blockchain because of course there are tens of thousands of these things. And if I compare it against something like Hotbit, they have the same issue when you go into their exchange widget it's painfully slow on an i7 beast computer. It's painfully slow. The withdrawal widget works great, but the exchange, the actual area where they're listing out all the different currencies is an absolute pain. Same with LBank, who I've had some issues with recently. I don't think it's practical to just load all these assets in there, and this may indicate that there's not efficient use of the storage, but I suspect there's a memory leak because when you get to a certain point, it'll freeze the application. You can't go back. You can't click another button, you can't continue to scroll, and you have to not only kill the application, so I'm referring to Android here, kill the application, but also clear that database out. That's how I knew that it has to be something they're storing, where it's just too much, and it's possible, it's entirely possible that it's my device. Well, the thing is, 
I'm using a tablet. It's not a high-end tablet. It's, it's good enough. But we're talking a tablet that's that's got decent amounts of storage. It's got decent amounts of specs, and I can run most anything else on it without it crashing. Like, that's the key. There should never be a situation an app is able to bring something to its knees the way that I'm seeing. I haven't seen that since the olden days of, like, the Samsung Fascinate way back of yesteryear. And I'm showing my age. So, in short, Cytomask is at least functional to where you can run it. However, there are some key issues inside the application that lead me to say, I still don't recommend using it. And I don't know that you really could heavily use it because it looks like there's no liquidity pair against Satama. So, Lily Finance did release a, someone at AMA. I did not participate in that one because there's other things going on. But there's still this ongoing communication from the Satama team and the Lily team about what's happening. I share and echo the sentiments of certain of my peers who they ultimately say, look, it's time to get your act together. I'm going to lean in. This is my investor hat coming on and say, at the end of all this, I still have not heard from the head dude who's supposed to be the head dude. And at this point, I'm questioning that's true, where he acknowledges, you know what? We screwed up. We got it wrong. Here's what we're doing to fix it. All I'm hearing is hate is going to hate and all that. And there's at least an acknowledgement of issues, but not an acknowledgement of you caused the issues because you released something that wasn't ready. You're putting dates out before you're ready. It's fine to release initial runs of the application, but when you don't have functionality fully done, you shouldn't even have it in the app yet. And you should tell people, here's what's coming. You're doing it already for the NFTs. You're doing it for that wolf game, whatever. Why aren't you doing it for the other functionality that's actually important? That's my opinion, and I stick with it. On the other side, Doge, of course, the big announcement was that Elon Musk tweeted out that Tesla is now going to be accepting Doge, and they're kind of dry running this with their store of a bunch of garbage that looks like Tesla stuff, like a, a little, looks like, a, I think it's a whistle, and it's shaped like that horrible-looking Canyonero truck thing that Elon announced. So in their store, you'd be able to use Doge, and of course, as a result, Doge's price jumped a little bit. I wouldn't call it a spike because... Yeah, it got up to 20 cents, but I mean, it, it, we're talking it's still down. <laughs> it was up near 30 cents, you know, what, mid-2021? So it's still down. It didn't get where it needs to go. But there are still whales buying into Doge, and this was a huge announcement for anybody who's holding Doge because they see, okay, Elon, Elon, Elon. It's like I said before. But I also mentioned in a previous episode that I believe that Elon effect is wearing off, evident by the fact that the price did not go higher than the 20 cents hardly because that impact of just having him tweet is not having significant price movement impacts that's what i want to see the awareness aspect cannot be understated that's fine but there's a lot of places that accept doge so i don't know why tesla's this unique thing where there's a lot of places there's movie theater you know movie theaters and other places that accept doge so to me i didn't see very much of a significant drive of why this is a huge thing especially because if you look at the prices of the Doge in what they're doing, it's basically the same thing as the fiat equivalent. So I don't see, I honestly don't see any value in how they did it. If it was, okay, if you pay in fiat because we have the fees for the credit card vendor and the fee to hold the bank and all the, the, the fiat, it's $50. But on the Doge coin, you don't pay equivalent $50. It'd be equivalent $40 because we're passing the savings back to you. That, I think, would have been more significant. That's not what they did. It's basically the same fiat equivalency. That makes me question what's the point. <laughs> and that's just me, and I'm not trashing Tesla. It's progress. And Elon had talked about doing it. 
I just don't think it's this big deal that some of their fans are making it out to be in the short term. In the long term, if it opens up adoption, obviously that's good for the industry, but I wouldn't want to have it also cause problems because you're going to have you know theft and some illicit use of Doge kind of in play there. Now, on the news, oh, this is my biggest one, on the news side, the biggest thing that came out recently, and I don't know what to make of this personally, but there's a bullish trend happening specifically around Bitcoin. Bitcoin is right now being perceived potentially as a way to insulate against inflation. We know this. We've seen this, whether it's true or not, but it's that's what's being believed to happen. If that's true, then what's happening is that the exchanges are starting to run out of Bitcoin. And it, you're like, what? This is what's being told is that the exchanges are starting, the reserves of exchanges are going down. There's two potential symptoms of this. One, people are buying more of it. And as people buy more of it, it's not increasing the price. And I'll tell you why when I cover, I'm going to cover a little bit of uh, a Satama price movement in contrast to my underdog token, because I think it's important to understand how this works as we talk about graphs and price movement. But people ultimately, in summary, are buying on, they're buying the dips. They're buying on a discount, and there are people willing to sell at the lower rates. Well, these are not necessarily good or bad things, but they're things to keep in mind. If we have people who are willing to sell low, are they selling out because they don't want it, or are they selling because they just want the cash, right, and they're just getting cash back out? Because you would expect the opposite, right? You would expect just a mass buy pressure, because of what's happening with the government, because of what's happening with the lira in Turkey, because of what's happening with the whole energy uses, and you would hope that people are kind of stockpiling instead of liquidating. And we're seeing kind of a blend. We're seeing a healthy blend of buys and sells, but on the lower end of the price. We also know that mining has been affected to some degree because of Kazakhstan and because of what's happening uh, in North Korea and others. We know that mining in general is down for Bitcoin, so that decreases the supply somewhat because people start holding more of it, but we're not seeing the price go up commensurate with that price movement. The reason I thought this was most important of all the news that I saw was because, again, Bitcoin backs a lot of the liquidity pairs for the various coins that are out there. So any effect that we have on the Bitcoin side is going to potentially affect other coins, assuming that those liquidity pairs are still the predominant pairs. What we are seeing, though, is the opposite. More liquidity pairs are coming out on Ethereum by way of wrapped Ethereum, BNB as way of wrapped Binance, and others are kind of stepping up to more support the liquidity pools due to the availability of those compared to what Bitcoin's doing. That's interesting to me because as we decrease... And I don't think it's ever going to go away. But as we decrease reliance on Bitcoin as a liquidity pool support and we increase use of other other these coins, Ethereum, Binance, whichever, it means that the price movements of those is necessarily going to increase. And we saw this briefly with Ethereum as it was starting to kind of go back up in spite of the fact that ETH2O is still kind of out there and we don't know what the heck's going on with it. And gas prices still are going nuts. 
So I think it's something worth watching. And if I've lost you, just understand that Bitcoin is and always has been at the forefront of everything that we can think of with respect to cryptocurrency and the price movements of crypto in general because in the liquidity pair, it's almost always been paired in some way to every other crypto that's gone. And we're seeing less of that. We're seeing now that more people are buying and the Bitcoin's kind of running low on exchanges. This is unusual and it's not consistent with what we saw in the past, which could indicate could indicate some positive price movements in the future. Like I projected earlier that as they're doing what they're doing, this may drive the price up. And people have already estimated it was going to hit six figures. I don't know that it gets that high, but I'm still rather bullish on where it goes by mid-year if this trend continues. The question is whether the trend is going to continue. That's what we don't know yet, but this is my opinion. Others are saying, oh, it's down again, it's down again, and it is, but I think it's a precursor to a bull run. I believe that from what I can see. I could be way off, but I'm hoping I'm in that next Nostradamus. By the way, I'm hoping to have him on the show so I can talk to him about this very thing. First, initially, what did he see? And did, did what he see compare to what we see now in a potential bullish trend? And he's done a lot of things since that I think he'll have a good insight. So if I can get him on the show, this whole situation with Bitcoin is something I'd love to talk to him about, get his insight, get his thoughts about what's going on there. And then I want to talk about this whole Ripple. The coin is XRP, but Ripple was the organization and what's going on with it because the SEC, which is the securities, basically they oversee anything that's a security. There's a lot of confusion about this case because this case is so central to cryptocurrency, it's going to affect where crypto goes in the future. I firmly believe this. I think that it's one that people don't really understand the potential negatives of what this could lead to, depending on the course that this takes. Here's what I mean by this. First, let me just describe to you at a simple level in my own terms what, as far as the government's concerned, a security, when we say securities trading, right? A security, what it conceptually is. What does it conceptually mean? At the simple level in the United States, anytime there's something that you offer in exchange for the potential to gain profit, that profit is based on the work of other people. So think about company stock. Company stock's value goes up as the company does whatever they do in order to entice more money to come into the business. At the simple level, that's how it works. The whole case about Ripple is that the government believes that XRP, the token, qualifies as a security, and there's a test, and the test, and it's all this rubric that we go through to assess whether or not it's essentially a security. The difference between, and the, in the case this has been presented, the difference between something like XRP and any other crypto out there, if you look at Ethereum, is Ethereum essentially a security? Essentially, it is with one key difference. Ethereum is not tied to any singular business, specifically where the value of the business is being affected by the work of the people and the movement of the, of the crypto. Same with Bitcoin. Is there an organization behind it? Yes, but they're not directly benefiting as a result of the trading of a thing. In other words, when you buy and sell stock, you're buying and selling ownership interest in a company. As more people buy in and they invest in, and this is the whole GameStop situation in AMC, 
it adds essentially liquidity into the company for them to do the basic functions. In return, you expect that they're going to make moves that are going to increase the value of the company. As the value of the company increases, the value of the stock that you hold increases in consort. So the thought in XRP is because XRP was so directly intertwined with the Ripple organization such that any activities of the Ripple organization directly benefit the holders, it should be treated as a security. They had a disclaimer up on the site that said, well, this isn't for your low-level traders. This isn't for your one-off traders. This is kind of your back-end. It would be like investing in Visa, something that does a back-end function, and that function is independent of the investment. The difference, and I think the problem, and the reason I suspect that they will lose the initial argument is because the whole reason people bought into XRP was because they knew that the price movement would be strong, and it was. It started skyrocketing like nuts because everything that Ripple was doing was supporting the price movement of the token irrespective of additional buyers of the crypto. It's different, right? In normal cryptocurrency, you really need to have people buying into this thing in order for it to be treated as positive movement. Volume is what drives the movement. There has not been to date any cryptocurrency where you could literally have, let's, I'm making random numbers, 100,000 people all just sit on it. And simply because this company closes all these deals, its price just starts skyrocketing independent of any additional holders, independent of any additional investment, independent of anything else. There's never been such a thing. You could argue that tokens such as Tron, as an example, or Solana could fit that qualification. However, the government chose to go after XRP first. Now, the second argument, which is why are we being singled out, I think is a good counter argument because it is true that XRP largely has been singled out amongst all the other cryptos that got really close to a securities definition have been mostly left alone. You could argue that stable coins by their nature must be securities because they're backed by a fiat and the fiat itself is backed by organizations who then are profit driven. The difference is, is that your holders of stable coins make no profit additional based on that movement. But on the flip, if you generate an APY, which is them giving you some dividends towards this thing, your or static rewards in certain cases, then you are benefiting, but it's not based on a business model. It's this whole convoluted situation, and that's the argument back and forth. Here's my stance. I think that both sides are arguing the wrong thing. I don't think the argument should be around is XRP a security or not? What is the qualification of security? Because ultimately the core definition of what we think of as a security today originated from the 60s. I think the argument we should be having is how do we classify a crypto as a security different than we classify anything else as a security? And we need to create a new definition for what is a crypto security versus another security. To me, and this is just my opinion as one guy over in the corner, to me, a crypto security should apply anytime there's a business backing that cryptocurrency where there are people in the business who financially benefit based on the holder count. So I'm simplifying it down because if you have formed an LLC in the United States, which is the most common way of building a business, and we document that, yes, this COO of this company gets paid based on the success of that token, I would treat it as security at that point because the only reason that you would have created the business was for legitimacy. 
The only reason that you'd buy on the token then is to get a return on your investment. And the only reason you would pay a guy to do this, as opposed to them doing it as an individual trader who they're putting their own money in, the only reason that you would do these things is because you want to financially incentivize those who are holding. I know that's really abstract and it's like really shocking coming from me, but the truth is it's all about who's getting paid what, right? If the investors are the only ones getting paid, we're not paying any sort of high-level investor like uh, people on a board if it's a public company, publicly traded. So they're also trading stock, but they also have this crypto over here. If you've got a board of investors and they're getting paid based on the money that's coming from these side over here, or you got a COO of a company and he's getting paid or she's getting paid based on what the holders do here, or you're somehow funding that company based on what this is happening, to me, you should just say that's a security and you got to figure it out. That would be very disruptive, I can guarantee you, but I don't see how it's any different from what's going on in the industry today and the way that things are going. And I want to talk about the underdog token because it has one mechanic that I think puts us a little bit closer to that. It's not around securities, but I think the way they're doing it increases the risk of us being classified as a security in the crypto land, which is why I want to cover them today because I want to talk about it correlated to price movement because I think there was a misunderstanding from that team, in my opinion, that they don't seem to get it and they just kind of threw something out there. But I wanted to just really briefly, I know it said brief, but it's not that long, but briefly kind of go over what I see with the whole XRP situation because there's a lot to it. It does portend, P-O-R-T-E-N-D, to be either catastrophic or wonderful for the crypto industry, depending on how that goes. In the meantime, I want to talk about my underdog token. Before I do so, I want to talk about Satama's price movement because it correlates, I believe, indirectly to what I'm going to cover with this token. If you've been following Satama's price, maybe you have, maybe you've not, but Satama's price is hovering way down. It's about to breach that lower resistance again. And I noticed something very interesting about the transactions. So this is the order book, but I'm not on the exchange. I'm on Dex Tools if you want to take a look at it. I noticed something very interesting, which is that there are a lot of buys. People are buying the token. So volume is down, but nowhere near. It's nowhere near what it was, but it's not like crashing in terms of volume. It's not like people are not interested in the token still. It's got $11 million of volume as of last count. That's not bad, but it's nowhere near its peak, which I believe was like $45 million. In volume. So the, the volume numbers are certainly not where they should be, but there is volume. And I am seeing buys. And you're looking at the chart and you're like, but it's red as all get out deep, deep. And I would agree with you. But there's a lot of buys. What's happening is that people are buying at a discount, which means people are selling at a discount. So I want to make sure I clarify to you that it's not just that people buy, buy, buy because. If you buy at a law, if you buy because somebody's selling at a discount, it drives the price down. But that price drive down might be a good thing in the long term because you increase the number of holders, right? And then there are people who are, it looks like there's bots and contracts who are automatically doing buys. So those are people that are basically buying the dips over and over on an automatic basis. So they're increasing their positions. So we might even be increasing the number of whales in play because of all this activity. So the red that you see, you're going to see, if you were to look at it, a lot of buy activity, but you need to understand that these people are buying at a discount, increasingly so. 
I'm consistently seeing that people are buying at lower and lower prices, and that's what's driving the price down, is the fact that people have been willing to sell at the lower prices. Nobody has been willing so far to drive the price up with higher sell prices put up on the market on the exchanges. And so all of this is kind of a cascade effect. What we don't know is how much of the issues with Cytomask are playing a factor in this behavior. We don't know that it is or isn't temporary. I suspect that it is, but based on the way the chart's looking, we still got a little bit of ways to go before we come back on the outside. And again, we have to compare against the two times that we did have some climbs. The first time that we had a climb, of course, was you know the ill-fated Vegas event, and then it that was a significant jump, and then it crashed back down, stayed down, and then in January it had somewhat of a run and then lost all those gains. So we also aren't seeing significant price movement forward, and I suspect that it's just because of all the people that we still have in the project who are still, they're basically drip selling out at a discount just to essentially take profits because some of them might still be in profit positions and they're just kind of taking profits over time. My summary, though, is that I do see that there are people willing to sell at a steep discount over what I would expect to see on the price, and that's affecting the price movement to a negative direction. Do I think it'll plateau? Yes, but it seems like to me, according to the graph I see, we got a ways to go before this guy starts to plateau out. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a ride. And then, of course, the issues with Cytomask are certainly not helping the situation any uh, because there's way more there's way more negative buy and I say negative buys mean discount, negative buy activity, then there are positive buy, meaning buying, and there somebody's taking profit off of it. And the reason that came up now goes to my token, my, my underdog token, because I suspect that they, some of these are inspired partially by Satama. And this one came to my attention by way of another, so it was a YouTuber that mentioned it kind of in passing as an, a token where money was flowing from another token that rug pulled. And the logic was that the money going there means it might be a solid project. I might have a different project. I don't think so based on the holder counts I'm seeing. The token's called Dream. Website is thedreamchain.com, Dream Coin. And, you know, when you go to this site, and I talk to, I talk to some of the admins, and they're nice people. They're not rude. They're not mean. It's a decent community. I have no... I have no concerns with the interaction with the people. And if you look at their messaging, I love their messaging. I love what they're trying to do, which is that they want to try to salute, try to create solutions to help solve mental health and work-life balance. However, I had some issues with how they're doing it. It's not what they're doing. It's how they're doing it. And I'm going to cover those. But first, let me go through the token in total because I wanted to be fair to them. And again, I did talk to them, and I wasn't pleased with my takeaway, but not for the reasons you think. So the messaging is they want to solve mental health crises. They give some stats. These are largely accurate stats. And the messaging immediately should resonate to anybody who knows anybody who has struggled with mental health, and I do. And you can think that, yes, this is good. This is a great thing, and we did need it. It's a problem that needs to help solve. And... They're talking about um, a nonprofit for helping with awareness about anxiety and other issues around mental health. The tokenomics, though, you have a tax. This is on the Ethereum chain, by the way, so you're talking Uniswap. 
You have a tax. It's 8%. And then the distribution is that three and a half goes to marketing, two goes to development. One goes back to liquidity. One goes to staking and play to earn rewards, which that was the initial yellow flag that came off because I'm like, wait a minute, that contradicts your mission. But still, it was what it was. And then half a percent goes to this nonprofit that they're talking about, the Dream Foundation. It has a total supply of $100 million, so it's extremely constrained. This is according to what I see here, and a max wallet of $2 million, max transaction of $1 million, and then there's a cooldown, which I'm assuming means that when you do a transaction of any kind, it'll block you from doing another transaction, which mostly stops bots um, and front-running. So in terms of the messaging, I was cool with it, and I was very excited to see a project try to do this. And I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. The tokenomics were pretty decent. I didn't see any concerns on that one. And when I looked for a white paper, I couldn't initially see one. And I keep saying it, and I keep harping on it. To me, the white paper should be the first thing you do. It should be the most of your focus. You should absolutely have it. I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass, not fully, because they should still have it, but a little bit of the pass because... Their website is so detailed that it might as well be the white paper. Like they have a lot of information about the kinds of things they're doing, the statistics. They don't have KYC that I can see. And they don't have locked liquidity that I can see. And they don't have other things that I would expect to see at this point. But I'm getting, that's why I say it's a partial pass because there's some data that's missing. Either they do or they don't. I suspect they do but I'm not going to go and hunt for it. As an investor, you should be putting that up front. That should be part of your sales pitch. But I also think you should publish a white paper document because of the editability aspect. I talked about it before on the whole Git book. You could go and tweak something and edit. So like on this token distribution for tax, you could say, all right, we're going to take a little bit away from that marketing. You know, we don't know. So you need a flat PDF published to the document that's a stamp of what you promised as of a certain point in time, and I don't see that there, and I'd like to see that. So, again, they have a lot of data that normally would negate a white paper, but I think you should still have a physical white paper published to the site for the purposes of memorializing what it was you promised at a certain point in time in case something is changed after the fact. So, in terms of the team, I had no concerns. They're nice people, no issues whatsoever. I was cool with it. In terms of the site, it's very thorough. They did a very good job of explaining what it is that they want to do. And I didn't see anything that was overtly of a major concern. However, when I scrolled the site, there's a section that gives a nice little picture. And it says, trading limited, I'm quoting, trading limited to United States stock market trading hours. This was immediately a turnoff as an investor. Because I understand why they're doing it, but I don't agree with it. Here's why. If you're going to use your smart contract to enforce a limitation on your investors, to me, that's the wrong answer. When I brought this to their attention, they said it's because our whole mission is to solve mental health. And part of the problem with mental health is that you stare at graphs all day long. Okay, (laughs) there's no correlation to this whatsoever. There's no data to back that up. There's no stats to back that up. The idea that trading 24-7, which is how crypto works, somehow contributes to mental health crises. You have no data to back that up. That's an arbitrary thought somebody came up with that said this sounds good, and then they just enforced it via the contract. Now, the U.S. stock trading hours is a big thing because, to me, 
I don't agree in the stock trading limitation. That literally is a stock trading limitation. You're literally turning it into a stock at that point. What is then to say, the government say, okay, well, you trade like stocks, so it's security, cool. Don't do this crap. And I'm, I'm sorry to use that, but don't do this. Don't do that. Do not limit anything and certainly don't pair it to U.S. stock trading. If you're going to do a limit of some kind, then you might say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to not have the cooldowns because the cooldowns is just like the halting on the stock market. We're going to get rid of that. I don't want to see that. Max transaction limits. I'm okay with that because that's standard in crypto, sure. Higher sales tax. I'm okay with that. Don't stop people from doing it. That's my problem. Don't stop them. You might penalize them, sure. So let's say they adjusted it to say, we're not limiting you to any hours or periods, but let's say, and then putting it against the United States, it's like these guys don't understand. There are people in other freaking countries who can't do, I'm trying to schedule something right now. He's nine hours ahead of me. So he's going to be already after the trading hours at my point when I'm right in the middle of trading hours. It's stupid. I'm sorry. So no, you need to have the flexibility to trade any time of the day. Then what you should do is create a DAO so that your investors can determine what is the time slot that you do want to limit. And if your vast majority of investors say, no, we need it 24-7, you leave it 24-7 and say, okay, we wanted to do that. The people have spoken. We're not going to enforce a thing. We're not God. We're not going to do that. Because I'm sorry, that came across to me as an investor as you trying to play God, trying to look out for me, and that's wrong. Because there's no correlation to having 24-7 access, and somehow that means that you're going to be having issues with mental health. It's a joke. It's a straight-up joke. So I told them directly, it's the one thing I saw of everything on the site that was a concern, was this issue, and they don't seem to be wanting to flex on it. They did say at some point that they would basically create, when they have, they're going to create their own swap, which I think is not going to solve the problem. But then they're going to have their own tool, and then the tool will just know that you're in this time zone and for your time zone it's this eight hour period and for this time zone it's this eight hour period at some point in the future first of all like i said nobody's going to use your swap also i can't imagine that this will be supported on any exchange i i personally don't see how that's possible because the exchanges are not going to support however your mechanics work so maybe they're going to stay full-on descend if you stay full on descend, this guy will never succeed long term. With that inventory, it should. That's what I'm saying. If, if they would let go of some of these silly mechanics, this guy should be skyrocketing, and it's not. And it's not because there's no logic or justification behind what they're doing. It seems like a great project that has the right idea and the right intentions, but as we know about the road to hell, I would love to see them back off that stance. I'm okay with, again, the tax goes higher during certain periods, but it should not be based on a time zone, right? It should be based on some other factor that you can count on that the exchanges don't care about, right? So if you want to trade 24, go to the exchange and it's open season. If you want to trade with us, we'll give you a little bit of discount, but it's only during these hours. I'd be okay with that because now you're not limiting them. But if their goal, and they've been around for a little bit of a while, if their goal is to say, nope, we're not going to go in the exchange, we're going to say stay decent, and you're never going to be able to do outside of these bankers' hours, yeah, let's see, November, sometime in November, early November, uh, or January even. Yeah, so it just launched. So hopefully this is only kind of this tertiary thing that they're doing for their own tool that they're thinking. Hopefully when they start getting to the exchanges, if they do, 
The exchange will say, screw you, we're not doing that. And the exchange, you can buy it whatever you want. And then I would just simply steer people to the exchange and then we're good. Because other than that issue, I think this would be well worth buying into because it's a solid project that has a solid case and it does have a lot of the mechanics that it needs. It's lacking an audit from what I can tell and it's lacking lock liquidity from what I can tell. I don't see some of the fundamentals, but it is rather new because if it just launched in November, it hasn't had enough time to build those fundamentals. So I just think now is the time to be thinking about these changes, especially when you get to the audit and other things. Be thinking about you, you don't need to do that stuff. You can't correlate that to mental health. Let's not pretend like you can. And let's make this thing successful because I'm so super bullish about this if they didn't have that nonsense in play. So that's the dream coin. The dreamchain.com is the name of the website if you want to take a look at it. And price movement wise, I just, I think they're hindering themselves. And I think people are exploiting that now and hopefully they revert because I would love to advocate for them. But I do see that they're making silly decisions early that are going to hinder its ability to do what it's trying to do, which is really solve mental health uh, concerns and situations. That's all I got for you today. I will, I'm not going to kick tires on Cytomask anymore, but like I said, in this afternoon, I probably will do another informational educational update. So keep tuned on that one.